Okay, so tonight we're going to be going forward in our Sermon on the Mount with the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. And as we've been going verse by verse through Matthew, we do find ourselves in that famous passage of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. And thus far as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, we have covered the Beatitudes. That was the beginning those right thinking, those blessings upon uh, disciples of Jesus and how we are and how we're to carry ourselves. Then we covered salt and light, and then we covered the righteousness that God provides through his son Jesus and how it works out by the spirit in the life of a disciple. And then last week, we looked at where Jesus said, you've heard this in the Old Testament, but I say this now, giving fuller understanding and going a little deeper with how that life of a disciple lived out to the glory of Christ. And that was awesome last week, the, the five points that we had. It was a real blessing to go through that with you last Saturday. And tonight we come to chapter 6 and hear that idea that the, the heart and things of secret are more important than things of public. And that's really what Jesus was moving toward last week when he said, oh, you've heard you won't do this, but I tell you it begins in the heart. And so that theme goes forward. So tonight... We're going to pick it up in chapter 6, verse 1, and get this first 18 verses here. And we read this. Jesus says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds, or your giving, before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may get glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. And assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Beautiful passage of scripture here with great insight on the human experience for disciples of Jesus. 
There's really four elements to the passage we just read historically and contextually. Giving, praying, how to pray, the manner by which to pray, and then fasting. So I'd like to touch on the overall context just for a moment before we really focus on praying and praying in this manner. We start with giving, and most of you are fairly mature in the Lord, and in the event you're not, you know, the Lord puts on our hearts to be generous people. And the world is full of givers and takers. And givers give and keep on giving because they're always willing to keep on forgiving. Takers take, it's never enough, even when they've taken almost all your stuff. That's the poem gave me, the Lord gave me at 2 in the morning about six years ago when I was going through something. And I woke up, it was so clear in my mind. I literally woke up at 2 in the morning and that poem was in my mind and it's, it's there. <laughs> you know, it's there. I can, you know, I can quote it right now, just like that, that the Lord gave it to me. And really the world is pretty much... You can say the world's divided between people who are born again of the Spirit through faith in Jesus and people who need to be saved by Jesus. The, the, the Lord looks at 8 billion people and you're either saved and going to heaven or you're unsaved and you're not and you're perishing and you're going to hell in outer darkness. And that's how the world is divided, how the Father sees everything. But in the human experience, we can really see people who God has moved upon and have been touched by the Lord because when the Spirit gets a hold of you, a taker becomes a giver. And the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve outside of Christ, you might find some people that are just maybe a little bit nicer than other people, but really, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish. So when we receive Christ, and as we have the spirit of God working in us, well, since God's a giver, we become givers. And Jesus himself said, the greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all. So when you're serving others, you're giving your time, you're giving your energy, and sometimes your resources as you feel led of the Lord to do so. It's yours to self-determine, but, you know, you, we become givers. And honestly, in 35 years of ministry, for me personally as a pastor, I can really tell if the Lord's working in someone's life because they start thinking of others and how they can bless others. They're shifting from a mindset and a philosophy of a disposition of a taker to a giver. So Jesus here is saying of disciples, he's speaking to a multitude, but he's really targeting people who are putting their faith and trust in him to be givers. Now, there's lots of people that are large givers. There's people that have nothing to do with Jesus that are big-time givers. Uh, there's 86,000 foundations, charitable foundations in America. 86,000. So you can start with Bill Gates and all that he does, right down to the lowest man, woman on the totem pole, with their foundations. For example, uh, A.E. Hunt, the great oil baron from Texas, Lamar Hunt's his son, the Lamar Hunt trophy they give to the winner of the AFC Championship in football. He's a descendant of H.L. Hunt. And, uh, well, H.L. Hunt, you know, interestingly enough, was opposed to public school, and he became the richest man ever of all the rich men in the early 20s and 30s. But he had a number of children. And he had three different women he was involved with. He was a big supporter of conservative things, if, just for the record. Uh, particularly, he was a Southern Baptist. But I found it interesting that two of his daughters, because I did a personal, like a mastermind study of his life, just to kind of learn from this guy, especially when I found out he was good friends with Billy Graham and people like that. But two of his daughters uh, ended up being in charge of foundations, uh, ministry foundations for their life calling. I thought that was really cool. I thought it was just really cool that two of the daughters, when they were of adult age, they managed large sums of money for Christian charitable foundations. So you can get Bill Gates and everything that he does in, in the name of whatever he does at the highest level, or you can get, a, a, you know... <laughs> A.E. Hunt's, you know, H.L. Hunt's kids, 
daughters growing up and doing foundational work in Texas and, you know, for the Lord Jesus Christ in the name of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a beautiful thing. When you study relief for, say, Africa, you have large organizations that are called NGOs, non-governmental organizations, and they give, like uh, the UN, they give large sums of money. They, well, they get them from countries sometimes or private organizations and, or trust like that, and they give large sums of money to do this or do that in the name of charities. So they might dig a well in Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, but if they just dig a well of water and don't give Jesus, then it's limited, right? But we know when Christian organizations, they should, when they dig water, like say, for example, Tanzania, primarily a Muslim nation, uh, that when they dig that well, that's where Dr. Livingston did most of his ministry, by the way, in the 1800s. They dig that well, and they bring water, and they bring living water with the water, just like Jesus did. So charitable giving is not limited to religious. There's sec large secular organizations, non-religious, that give large sums of money. And they, they, you know, they get their, they get their, they get that sometimes. They like that. They applaud one another. And then there's religious organizations that aren't Christian that do things, and they get their applause. And then there's Christian organizations that do stuff, and you know, some are driven for glory from men, even though they shouldn't be, and they get their applause. But then there's also Christian organizations that do things where we don't really know how what they're doing because they don't want it to be that public and it's off the grid. Say, for example, Voice of the Martyrs, and they do charitable, charitable relief all over the Middle East and these different places. And we just we're not gonna know until we get to heaven what the fruit looks like for what we did in investing in their ministries. And that's okay, that's good. That's what your right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. And here at Worship Generation, we've always tried to give anonymously however we can, whenever we can. And as you would know personally in your life, and we would know in ministry, sometimes it's just known. Like, for example, if we're trying to send money to the Russian pastors' conference in two weeks there in Vladimir, you know, it's got to run, it's got to run a route through this bank to that bank for them to get it and get it out. I mean, you just, you just can't do it. It's kind of hard to give money anonymously to Russia right now. And to give it without getting flagged, by the way, too. Right? <laughs> so sometimes people know. But the thing is, if you can give and do it without a lot of fanfare, that's the best way to give. That's the best way to give. If you can do it anonymously through a secondary person and you feel good about it, that's the best way to give. There's nothing more beautiful than talking to someone who's talking about all the things the Lord's doing in their life, and they don't even know you're the person that gave them large sums of money to be doing it. That is a beautiful feeling. I even just had it last week. It was really cool. I was talking to someone who had no idea what this church has done for them because we did it anonymously. And the way they got the funds would have been from another such circumstance in other ministries, but it came from this one. So it was so cool. People were like, hey, you know, it's, it's, or as Pastor Jeremy Foster used to say when he was here, the best feeling is releasing funds into the mission field in Jesus' name. And all of our ministries, it's just the best thing to just, when you're blessing people and their ministries, and ah, it's just such a good feeling. And if you can do it anonymously, that's wonderful. Sometimes you can't. It's a little different than tithing. When you tithe to a church, you get a tax record in America. But when you just feel led to go this way or that way or whatever, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. So just keep that in mind. You know, if you can give and you feel led to give, not begrudgingly, but you choose to, uh, and you want to do it that way, and if you can do it anonymously, great. That's, I always think anonymously, and then if I want to give and I just can't give it anonymously, then I do however I need to do it to follow through on that giving. That's what I've learned. Now, the praying 
you know, we can picture different religious organizations and even other types of religious faiths where public prayer is a big deal and being recognized in public prayer, being seen in public prayer, where you have to be seen and it's an obligation, it's a begrudging obligation, and it can even be vain repetition, and we see that. We see what, we, we you know, Christianity can have vain repetitious prayers, but world religions tend to have vain repetitious prayers. And so even in the teaching on prayer here, we're told that it's not about a public appearance of prayer, which many world religions focus on, but it's a private prayer. It's, it's not a public display of religion before men, but it's a private faith with our Heavenly Father in a private place. It's a relationship, not religion. That's what Jesus is teaching here. He didn't die on the cross so we can put on a religious show outwardly to impress people that somehow we're spiritual, but he died on the cross because he's the mediator between God and men. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the way to the Father, and he's our great high priest that we can come boldly to the Father through in time of need. So really, when we think about prayer for the believer in Christ, although there's public prayers like we have here, or when we're a little delayed on worship a couple weeks ago, you know, we did a little 20-minute prayer service. That's a beautiful thing, and it's a good thing. But we're not doing it to impress anybody. We're just doing it because we're the body of Christ, and we're praying like, we're, like we want to as a church, which we do. When you're praying after service or we pray for the service, that's how that works. But the key thought is it's what you do privately. You know, it's, it's, it's you and the Lord. And what you are and who you are in that private time with God in prayer, it shows itself in a, in a spiritual power in the realm of time, space, and matter. Like if you're a praying woman, it, it just shows itself how you carry yourself through the day and how you respond and how you interact with other people. If you're a praying man and you've been prayed up and you're out in the world, you just, you're dialed in. You're dialed in on the freeway, on the surface streets of Orange County. You're dialed in at work. You're dialed in with the family. The difficult phone call, these things happen. You, you're, you know, you're prayed up. And, and it just shows you, it's not a means to an end. You don't pray so you can have spiritual power. But when you do pray sincerely, you do have spiritual power. But you can't, you know, you're not doing this to get that. This just, it's cause and effect. When you're sincere and make time for the Lord and pray to the Lord, then you, you're working with the Lord, and together you're doing great with the Lord. And then there's the details for prayer, which we're going to focus on in a moment. Then we have the fasting, and the fasting, of course, we, most of us associate fasting with not eating. And if you ever see me fasting, I look disfigured. <laughs> I, don't, I don't try to, but man, I, I get grumpy when I'm hungry, man. Like, I get low blood sugar. It's like, oh, dad's fasting. You can just tell, like, you know, like I lose the blessing, I suppose. But I just, I think we all get irritable, right, when we, we don't eat. But if you discipline yourself, you know, fasting generally is associated with not eating a meal or multiple meals. So it can be fasting from one meal, fasting portion like fast for 12 hours 18 hours a day fast uh, you know when you don't eat for three days you kind of cross the threshold where then you fat you can fast for a prolonged period of time some people can fast from water for a time period but you know you just got to be wise with those things know your body know what you can do or can't do but one area of fasting that we talk about is like daniel you know he fasted from meat for three weeks back in the book of daniel so you can fast from certain foods like sugars or whatever however you feel led to do you can fast from certain activities. And the idea behind fasting is you're drawing closer to the Lord. You're 
exercising self-discipline over your flesh and your carnal appetites so that you can press into the Lord in a greater capacity spiritually. And sometimes you fast because you realize, man, you have a fall and you realize, man, this is sackcloth and ashes fasting. And sometimes you fast because, you know what, I just feel sluggish. I don't feel sharp. And I'm going to, you know, fast from social media for three weeks or whatever. And you just do, you can, you know, don't, don't limit the Lord how you can fast. But in doing fasting, again, it's about you and the Lord privately. That's the whole thought here in the context. That you're not disfigured and you don't look like, you know, grumpy Joey, you know, having a fast. But you, you know, you're, you're just, you don't need to post, I'm going on a social media break. You just go on a social media break. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just, however you feel led in those things to do, you do that. So that's our context. Charitable giving, as we feel led, and we do it for the kingdom, and we have eternal fruit, not temporal fruit, uh, but we don't toot our own horn when we do it. And then prayer, private place with the Lord, creates spiritual power when we go out in the world, and then fasting can look like this, can look like that. But again, if it's physical fasting from food and water, make sure you know your body and you know what you can do or not do with your body. The, that's not just a disclaimer. That's just common sense because you don't want something to go wrong because you're fasting and you didn't understand like how that would affect your body and your behavior or whatever. You know, I, I don't know, so just, just make sure you feel comfortable with the Lord and that with fasting. Now, that brings us to our key thought for the rest of the night is this pray in this manner. Pray in this manner, and it's the Lord's Prayer. And many of us know the Lord's Prayer, and you can say it, like, I can, I pretty much can uh, paraphrase it, you know, and of course, I grew up, again, Catholic, so I said the Lord's Prayer, and when I had to do penance, I had to say the Lord's Prayer, and I was supposed to pray Hail Mary's too, but I don't ever remember praying Hail Mary, but I definitely prayed the Lord's Prayer, and actually, in my life, when I was in jammed situations that were scary, I found myself, even though not walking with the Lord, or even really knowing the Lord, but just knowing about the Lord, I would pray the Lord's Prayer. Most specifically, I always remember when I was caught in 50-foot open ocean seas at Waimea Bay, thinking for sure I was going to die, and I was crying, and I was confessing my sins, and I said the Lord's Prayer. When I held my dead son in my arms, I said the Lord's Prayer. So this prayer, as a, as a prayer, is a powerful prayer. Who knows? It might be, I've said it at memorials for people. Graveside is a wonderful prayer for graveside when you commit someone to the Lord. And I, I've said it in those very, usually in a crisis situation, but it's a good prayer in a, in a mountaintop situation, too. It just summarizes everything. But it was never meant to be vain repetition. And it was never meant to reflect an impersonal relationship with God. Notice how Jesus says, the Father, the Father, your Father, the Father, throughout these passages that we just read. And here, when you pray to the Father in this manner. So through faith in Jesus, we have access to the Father. And this is a, a template on how to pray. It can be a literal prayer, but it's a template for prayer. And as we look at this template and we think about our prayer life and maturing in our prayer life and being fruitful and successful in this life with the Lord and what he's entrusted to us, we start with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this really is the key to all of our prayers because this is the perspective that is the foundation for a healthy prayer life. Small God, big problem, or big God, little problems. I was thinking when Danny was leading us in worship, singing God of Wonders, such a beautiful song. 
God of Wonders. And whenever I sing that song I, in my mind, I don't know why, but I just think of all the photos I've ever seen of like outer space, you know, like other galaxies and supernovas or whatever. I just think, oh, just because I say there are trillions of galaxies, which is incredible. But there are trillions of galaxies. I mean, if there's just one galaxy with billions of stars in it, that's impressive. But there are trillions of galaxies. God of wonders beyond our, beyond our galaxy. You know, like that's, he's the God of wonders. And there's billions of people on planet Earth. And the God of trillions of galaxies, the entire focus and attention of the universe is on billions of people on planet Earth. And literally, the personal hairs on your head, or literally your soul, each soul of an individual. That is amazing. The devil would like us to think that we're insignificant. He would like us to think that somehow God's not paying attention, or he's busy on the other side of Pluto taking care of business, to not be concerned about our life, the affairs of our life, or the circumstances in each generation on planet Earth and how things affect us. But he is very much involved and very much caring the whole universe revolves around Jesus, and everything who Jesus is in eternity and his glory revolves around who he is and what he did on planet Earth. And the whole purpose of the human experience is that the church would declare that Jesus is Savior to the world with the Great Commission, and that people could be saved and pass from death to life through faith in Jesus for the next dimension. Everything on Earth ultimately comes down to, as I said earlier, in Christ or not in Christ. Of Christ, for Christ, in him all things consist. So when we think of the Lord's Prayer, we know that through faith in Jesus, we have access, we know he hears our prayers, your Father knows what you need before you even ask. That's why religion of vain repetition is folly, where relationship, a personal relationship is the key, and Jesus died that we can have that personal relationship with the Father with that access, and it's our Father in heaven. So it's important when we start our day, every day, and it's not a bad idea to end it this way either, but it's important to start our day with the perspective of who God is and where he's at. God is the great I am. And my mind can't go to the place of trying to understand how God is over a trillion galaxies, how he spoke them all into existence, Day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars. He separated light and darkness from a different dimension on the first day. The firmaments on the second. The water from the land on the third. And then the sun, the stars, and the moon on the fourth. It's just amazing to me that the God of wonders beyond our galaxy with trillions of galaxies. That's who he is. But... It's really his character that matters most because God is light morally and in him is no darkness at all. There's no shadow of turning with the Father of lights. So when we come to the Father in prayer through faith in Jesus, we know that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good, right? And David said, taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. So if we start our day with prayer and that time with the Lord, reading his word, reflecting upon the Lord, we're going to always come to the conclusion in common sense and led by the word of God and the promises of the word of God and led by the spirit to know that God is good. That God, whatever, everything God's doing in the universe is good. 
And everything God is going to ultimately do on planet Earth is good. Everything he's doing in your generation and timeline is ultimately going to be for good. And everything he's doing in your life is good. And the things that he has for our life from start to finish is a good ending. Like it says in James concerning the life of Job, we see the end that the Lord intended and it was good. Even in the worst circumstances of the human experience. So our father is knowing who we're praying to. We're not praying to a man or a woman with skewed flaws or even, you know, any agendas or shortcomings. We can request a lot of things from people on planet Earth, good people, loving people, caring people, like a Franklin Graham with Samaritan's Purse. You know, what a wonderful man. And, and Graham Lotz, you know, Billy Graham's daughter. I just, just, oh, wouldn't it just be so cool to hang out with people like that and just, the, you know, like spiritual giants. But in the end, they're human beings, just like we are. And they, they have things go wrong in their life like they go wrong in ours. And not every thought's a great thought for Franklin Glam any more than it is for you and me. And we, we have opinions. And I'm sure Frank and Ann have opinions too. And if those opinions are mostly right, which I'm sure they are, that's awesome. But sometimes our opinions are wrong. I found that the last 30 years of my life is God re re re-bashing my opinions that are offensive to him without me realizing it and just dismantling them one by one so all my opinions begin to really match up completely with his character. And if you think about it, the transformation of a prayer life and walking with the Lord and serving the Lord for decades is to make us more like Jesus, which means he's dismantling everything in our life that is contrary to Jesus. But when we come to the Lord in prayer, we know our Father in heaven is all good and everything he wants to do is good. When you cry out to the Lord, in the day of distress, like holding my dead son in my arms, he has a good plan. But when you cry to the Lord and you think you're going to drown in 50-foot seas, he's got a good plan. And when it really is your day, well, then that's the end, and he's got a good plan for the next dimension. If you're the thief on the cross, he's got a good plan. All he does is good. So the perspective of God's character, that he's morally right and, and he's absolute and there's no shadow of turning, it's, it's a great strength because if we put our confidence in anything other than the living God, we could fall short. And we're not following the philosophies of men. We are joined to the Father. And in that being said, we also know that God is holy. And we look at Isaiah back in chapter 6 of Isaiah. When he sees the Lord in his holiness, he had the vision of God in his holiness, in his glory. Whenever God gives someone a vision of heaven, man, it is for real. And everyone falls down on their face. And Isaiah was like, woe is me, because he saw the glory. Holy God, sinful man. One of the greatest prophets of all time. Revelation chapter 4. John the Apostle describing the heavenly scene with the heavenly father. The rainbow behind the throne. The four living creatures. The 24 elders. You're just like, wow. It's so holy. And that throne room... Let me remind you, body of Christ, is the final authority for this dimension, God of a trillion galaxies and a billion people, and is the final authority of the next dimension where we're all ultimately headed in light or darkness, with the Father or separate from the Father. Revelation 4 is a powerful chapter, as is 5, with Jesus in the scroll. But 4, that's that's the reality, is the throne room of God. So our Father, 
character, God alone, I am that I am. Moses, so who did I say sent me? You tell him I am that I am sent you, the self-sustained one. And you say, how could God pre-exist and make everything? I don't know. But I'm finite, and he's infinite, and you're finite, and he's infinite. We didn't make ourselves. He predetermined our seasons and boundaries and everything. So when we get that perspective that God's on the throne in control, it's super important. It's critical. It, it just puts, it puts everything in time together. So when you think it's really the eternal perspective that God is over everything, and he's eternal, and it's spiritual. He's holy. And he's in heaven. It's his person in his place. And when he looks down on the universe, he's managing the universe, a trillion galaxies. He's managing planet Earth, 8 billion people, humanity. And he's managing every generation, which I just keep thinking about more and more as I'm getting older. My generation. <laughs> My generation. Or if you're a baby boomer, our generation. I just been thinking about, like, all that we've, you know, from John Kenny's assassination when I was born, you know, and just kind of the timeline, the Vietnam War and, you know, the just all these events that happened in the world while I was in my teens and then 20s and 30s and 40s and 9-11 and, and just moving toward 2041 when I'm 80. And then you look like Danny Gutierrez and he's probably born in 2000. So I'll say goodbye to him, but it's halftime. If he lives to be 80, I'm like, hey, see you in the next dimension. It's halftime for you, but game over for me and all my friends at WG who are my generation. And then, you know, Danny can step into eternity and say goodbye to Mark Coca, who's 20 years behind him. It's all like that. And this is what I want to remind us of when we think about our Father in heaven, how will be your name. He's got the universe. He's got planet Earth. He's got our timeline. And he's got you. Because as Jesus said, he knows the hairs on our head. He's got you. And he's got me. And whatever we're facing, it might seem like the end of the world, the whole world's weighing in on this. But, you know, God's got this. He's got a trillion galaxies under control, you know. And, and he's got you. And he's got me. And he's not going to leave us nor forsake us. So that's why it's so important in our prayer life we get the eternal perspective when we start our day. We need to be reminded God truly is in control. He is in control. And we just need to be reminded of that tonight. Of your life, the affairs of men, and our generation. He's in control in the ebb and flow of his human experiences. He has seen wars. He's seen famine. And, you know, Solomon said, you know, it's kind of a curse of life in Ecclesiastes. But, man, you know, you leave it all behind. And you don't know if the person that you leave it to is going to be confident with it. And in the end, all these things are going to happen when you're gone, and there's no way you can know what's going to happen when you're gone because you're gone. And later on he says, a living dog is better than a dead lion. You get your timeline, and we're in it right now, and you redeem it, and you make it count. Our Father out in heaven, hallowed be your name. Perspective of everything. Because the eternal and spiritual is the perspective we need for the temporal and the grind, which is the second thing. Give us this day our daily bread is the second part of the prayer, right? So it's all heaven, like your kingdom, you're the glory, Isaiah's vision, Revelation 4. And then it comes back to you and me getting on the freeway at 7 in the morning or something. Or, you know, our contractors showing up ready, the painters or whoever. You just, you know, the grinders. Life's a grind, man. It's grinding. You're grinding. Get on the freeway and go like this on the 605 for an hour to Pomona or something. Yeah, I, or 
60. Life's grinding. All the commuters, I think how Anthony commutes up to, to L.A. and Danny Donnelly comes down here or whatever. And all the different places you go and, you know, just give it a year or two, you're all going to be on this new express toll road here that looks like the 91's toll road. And you're going to pay the, all that money because you don't want to grind. In the, you're going to find a way to find that money so you can be in that lane that's moving instead of the grinder lane. Because that, that lane's a grinder, but the other one's a bigger grinder, right? And you just, it's time and grinding, from Jacob to Moses to everybody, the in-between. Life is arduous in so many ways. And it's just the way it is. There's a time and season for everything, God said through Solomon in Ecclesiastes. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. And then there's the dash in between those dates. That is your life. And in that, there's a time of rejoicing, there's a time of sorrow. There's a time of mourning, there's a time of dancing. There's a time of kissing and there's a time of no touching. There's just, there's just everything. There's a time of peace. There's a time of war. There's a time to plant. There's a time to uproot. And whether you live 20 years, 40 years, or 80 years plus, those things run in sequence. And in all that, we're told in Ecclesiastes 3, God's put eternity in our heart. So it kind of goes back to our Father art in heaven. Grinding's no fun if you're not grinding with the Lord. Think of Joseph in the Old Testament there. Potiphar's house like a slave, and then he's in the prison like a slave for a couple years. But we still, man, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. We keep the Lord first, and we can do it. We can face it. So you get the eternal perspective. Oh, God's in control. It's eternity. God is holy. He's got this. But Lord, I'm hungry. (laughs) Please, you like food. Roof, shelter, car, repair, gas prices, grocery prices. Oh, Lord, famine. It's a famine. It's recession. It's a famine. It's a global famine. Right. And the Bible's filled with famines. Abraham had famine. Isaac had famine. Jacob had famine. Joseph had famine. The book of Acts, the New Testament church, had famine. Listen, man, you live 80 years, we're going to get famine. We're going to get a global famine, if you will, however it looks, a global war, global economy crash, whatever it is. We're going to get, we're going to get famines. Because Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time for everything under heaven. But we're going to get wars because people do. They fight over temporal things. They get left behind. So we have to see our Heavenly Father over it all and we have to see the kingdom where we're going over it all so we don't lose that perspective and then yeah lord now back to planet earth and going to work at 7 30 and getting on the 405 we got to grind now give us this day our daily bread but we find that so many people apart from christ they just grind and they grind and they grind and then they die you know so many people when they quit grinding they die because grinding kept them alive so they got to keep working Keep working, keep working, because the moment you stop working, you pretty much die. And, you know, give or take, you got to keep yourself busy. The mind has to stay busy or it shuts down. But you don't just want to grind to grind. You, you want to be time and grinding with the Lord Jesus Christ so there's eternal fruit in what we're doing, right? And that goes back to whatever you do, do it hardly as unto the Lord, not unto men, and your Father will reward you. So as long as we get the perspective, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name in the kingdom, we can go out there and we'll, he'll take care of the daily bread. 
And why does it seem when you work enough the day to get daily bread, you're getting two pieces of bread, but then somehow you lose a piece one way or another, right? Like, <laughs> you just lost it. How did I lose that extra piece of bread? Or the king showed up and took it. Why are you taking my bread? Or a thief came by and took it. Like, why would you take my bread? Because human incompetence and human government and thieves will... <laughs> Jesus said, serve your treasures in heaven. It's coming up. It's a preview of coming attractions. Where thieve and moth don't destroy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And better is peace at a table with herbs than a fatted calf with strife and turmoil. And that's coming from a man who sat at a dinner table with a lot of strife and fatted calves and turmoil. Solomon. Yeah, I'm sure Solomon, all the complexity of his life and all the drama of his life sometimes you'd see just a, a hard-working man in israel you know like jacob come here you know and just see jacob's life and his wife and his good life and his hard work and his faith and his peace and you're like that man eating herbs has more peace and joy than i do in my palace with all the problems i've got that i've created with all my wives and the things i've done to appease them when we walk in contentment with the lord when we do our work as unto the Lord and we find our joy in the Lord, it's just a wonderful thing. Solomon said it in Ecclesiastes, you know, the person that has a bunch of stuff worries about who's going to take it. But the man who works hard and enjoys the labor of his life, he enjoys his wife, he enjoys his kids, and he, he enjoys the, the good things that God has given him. I'll never forget what my, my good friend Steve said to me 20 years ago, who's very wealthy, multi, just super multimillionaire. He goes, Joey, he goes, you know, I just wake up. I see I'm wide awake at night thinking, who's trying to take my money and how do I keep from getting it? I was like, well, that's no way to live. He's like, right? Yeah. Godliness with contentment. Stay in the moment of the day. Put in the time. Get the daily bread. Know the Lord's providing it. When he closes the door, he closes it. He'll open another one. He has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And this experience of life with daily bread and forgiving, being forgiven, because in our mess of working for daily bread, we, we flounder. We're sinful people, and we make sinful mistakes, and we need to be forgiven. As if it's not enough to, to grind in time to get your daily bread, you do so with failure and folly in the journey, right? Or am I the only one that has failure and folly in the journey? You get failure and folly. Ah, you know, just the folly and the frailty of being a human being and the things we do. And, and that's why he said we need to be forgiven, but we also need to forgive others. And then he said that to, to deliver us from temptation. And so we need to be delivered from, our, from temptation. And so in the midst of all this, in time, space, and matter, it's time and grinding just to put food on the table and to stay one step ahead of being, instead of being one step behind financially and economically, then we, we have our own failures. Then we have the failures of other people, how they impact and affect us in the human experience, the conflicts, the dramas at work, the dramas with family, the dramas with the neighborhood and community and just opposing views and the conflicts that we get. And it's like, ah. But then the prayer ends with, for yours is the kingdom, the cloud, and the glory forever. So it starts with our Father out in heaven Eternity, kingdom, God's character. Then like, ah, oh, daily bread. Oh, look at you. You, you did it again. You, no, don't even look in the mirror. Just duh, go away. And that neighbor, man, I, I've had it with that guy in his loud motorcycle at 5 a.m. I'm, I'm, I just I don't even know what to do right now. 
You know, that neighbor, like that kind of thing. You're like, what is up with this guy? You know, like, it's, just, it's life, man. Shalom, shalom. You just got to grind it. Which takes us back to the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll, they'll, they'll be comforted, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be, they'll be filled, you know? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Yeah. That's, that's, who we, that's who we need to be. Which brings us to the closing thought and exclamation mark on the Lord's Prayer. Because we have eternity, eternal perspective with the Father and glory and the kingdom and everything at last. And then we have the temporal of bread, sin, failure, the life experienced, Ecclesiastes 3. And we just go one day at a time, one day at a time, stay in the moment, can't change yesterday, don't worry about tomorrow, one day at a time going forward. And then we get this, where the Lord's finished teaching how to pray. He says, and by the way, if you don't forgive others, you're not forgiven. Wow, like that is really strong wording right there. I mentioned back with lusting and last week where it says, you know, cut off your hand, poke out your eye. And I said, you know, this is obviously hyperbole. This is not hyperbole. This is sound theology for a five-year-old and an 80-year-old. A five-year-old can understand if you don't forgive them, you're not forgiven. And an 80-year-old can understand if you don't forgive them, you're not forgiven, and anyone in between. Uh, it's a pretty low standard of cognitive capacity to be able to understand the need to be forgiven and to forgive others. And we can be forgiven in Christ, and we are forgiven in Christ. And of all the great things you can do for the kingdom of God, and I talked about the equity of the credibility of your words last week. Remember I said your, your words of credibility is like a great equity that no one can take from you. It's like a compass saying north. But really, you can put forth now on this passage the greatest, the greatest of all equities in a human's life, their very being, is not only have they been forgiven through faith and grace in Jesus Christ, but they're able to forgive everybody in the human experience through their faith in Jesus Christ. This is the greatest equity because Jesus made it so. So worship generation, body of Christ. Eternity, time, forgiveness. It's, it's, that's us. And it's a good reminder tonight that this is who we are and this is who we're meant to be in Jesus' name. We change the world this way. Yes and amen.